We're going to open up again this morning to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. We'll be reading Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16 together, and that can be found on page 954. If you're using a pew Bible, Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. This is what we read. Have we not all one Father? Has not, has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation, the message of Malachi can be summarized with these words. The Lord is coming, and you're not ready. The Lord is coming, and you're not ready. Malachi tells us that the Lord is coming in chapter 3, verse 1. We'll look at that particular text next Sunday. But he tells us that we're not ready by means of six disputes which make up this prophecy. The first dispute concerns God's love. And there we learn that some of us aren't ready for the Lord's coming precisely because we are doubting rather than trusting the Lord's love. The second dispute concerns God's honor. And there we learn that some of us aren't ready for the Lord's coming because we're withholding his honor and we're giving him the leftovers of our lives rather than the first and the best. The third dispute, which is the one before us this morning, concerns our relationships to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And here we learn that some of us aren't ready for the Lord's coming because we're being faithless rather than faithful to this community of believers. We see this in verse 10 
Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Profaning the covenant of our fathers. I really like how the New King James Version translates this verse. I think it captures well uh, the accusation which is being made here. The New King James puts it this way. Why do we deal treacherously with one another? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? That's what's being asked here. Why, why, why do we break faith with each other? Why do we go back on our word? Why don't we fulfill our end of the bargain in, in our relationships? Why do, we, why do we deal treacherously with one another? That's what was going on in Malachi's day. That's what the prophet Malachi was observing taking place around him within the covenant community. God's people were dealing treacherously with one another. They were, as our text says, profaning the covenant of their fathers. You might remember when God established his relationship with his people, he did so by means of a covenant. God says, I will be a God unto you, and this is how I expect you to live in return. And in that covenant, God said, I expect you to live with me this way, and I expect you to live with one another this way. And God said, so far as their relationships with one another were concerned, they were, to, they were to honor their father and mother. They were not to murder. They were not to steal. They were not to commit adultery. They were not to lie. They were not to covet. In short, they were to love their neighbors as themselves. That's how God had told his people to live with each other in the covenant he made with him. But the people, they aren't living with one another this way. They are, they are profaning the covenant of their fathers. And Malachi says, why? Why are we being unfaithful to each other? Why are we profaning that God-established covenant which was meant to govern our relationships with each other? Why? Now, let's just note, this, this wasn't just a problem in Malachi's day. This was also a problem in Joshua's day, many years before this. Do you remember Achan? Achan took some of the devoted things from Jericho, which God forbid the Israelites from doing. And in doing this, Joshua 7, 1 says that Achan broke faith. Achan was faithless. Achan dealt treacherously. This was also a problem in, in James' day. James asked the people of his day this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your passions at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James there is, is writing to people who were breaking faith with one another. He's writing to people who were profaning the covenant of their fathers. Of course, this is 
This is also a problem in our day, isn't it? We know how to deal treacherously with one another. We know how to tear one another down rather than build one another up. We know how to covet what belongs to the person sitting behind us in the pew. We, we know how to steal. We know how to lie. We know how to lust. We know how to disobey those in authority over us. We do, don't we? We know very well how to be faithless to one another. And Malachi's question comes to us too, right? Why? Why, why are we faithless to one another? Why do we not fulfill our God-given obligations and responsibilities to each other? Why? Now, let's just pause at this point and recognize what, what Malachi's saying. He's saying people who are dealing treacherously with one another are not ready for the Lord's coming. These are not people who can receive the Lord with joy and gladness. Right? That, that's what he's saying. The Lord is coming. You're not ready. We might ask, how? How, Malachi, am I not ready? He says, some of you are being faithless. That's how. Now, let me ask, can you, can you see an area in your life this morning where you are dealing treacherously with a brother or sister in Christ? Can you see an area in your life this morning where you are breaking faith with someone? If so, here, for yourself, the searching question that Malachi puts to the people of God, why? Why are we faithless to one another? Why? From here, Malachi focuses on two specific areas where God's people were being faithless in his own day. The first area is in, we'll call it the church. He's speaking to the people of God and Israel, the covenant community. We'll, we'll, we'll call it the church. Now, how were, how were the people of the covenant community, the Old Testament church, the people of Israel, how were they being faithless to each other in Malachi's day? Well, he says it's through the intermarriage with the unbelieving people of the land. He says, Judah has married the daughter of a foreign god. That's the first specific example he gives of the way God's people were being faithless with each other. Remember when God established the old covenant with his people, he did so in no uncertain terms. He would be a God unto his people, and in return, one thing he expected his people to do was not to intermarry with the unbelieving people of the land who worshiped other gods. This comes from Deuteronomy 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to take possession of and clears away the nations before you, you shall not intermarry with them, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. All right, we've talked about this before in our study of Ezra. This prohibition is not a matter of race. It's a matter of religion. God knew what would happen to his people if they married those who worshipped other gods. What I find interesting here is how this sin of intermarriage 
is being held up as an example of how the people of Israel were being faithless to, to one another. I mean, we can see how, how the sin of intermarriage would have meant the people were being faithless to God. But how does the sin of intermarriage cause the people to be faithless to each other? If I might put it another way, right? Let's pretend we're living in Israel. Why would my marriage to an unbelieving woman make me faithless to you? I mean, isn't my marriage to an unbelieving woman a personal matter between me and the Lord? It's none of your business, right? Well, not according to the text. The people are said to be faithless towards each other. That's what Malachi says. Why are we being faithless to each other? And now he tells us what's behind this question. The people of Israel are marrying the daughters of a foreign god. Now it makes sense when you you realize that under the old covenant, this particular sin would have had consequences for the entire believing community. Okay, we see that in Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, we're told that if the people of Israel failed to do what God commanded in his word, then curses will come upon them for their disobedience. And make no mistake, some of those curses in Deuteronomy 28 affect the nation as a whole. Okay, this is, this is one of the curses. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. That's a curse which affects all of Israel, not only the one who sinned. We go back to the sin of Achan and Joshua. That's exactly what happened. All of Israel suffered defeat in battle because of one man's sin. And so these men who are, who are taking the daughters of foreign gods for their wives... They are jeopardizing the health and well-being of the entire community of believers. That's why Malachi can say that in marrying these women, they are dealing treacherously with all of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a good lesson here. You, You might think that your sin affects no one but you, You might think that your sin is simply a matter between you and God, but the fact is your sin could very well affect all of us. And therefore, when you sin, when you take for yourself the daughter of a foreign God, as it were, you you deal treacherously with every single person sitting in this sanctuary. I assure you this morning, talk to anyone who's been in ministry for any amount of time. Talk to a pastor, talk to a a seasoned elder, they will tell you stories about how one person's sin caused pain and suffering and heartache for many, sometimes even for entire congregations. In fact, some congregations take years to pick up the pieces from the damage caused by one person's sin. All right, when you marry the daughter of a foreign god, as it were, 
When you do the things God has told you in his word not to do, you are not only being faithless to God, you are also being faithless to the family of God. You are being faithless to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are putting the health and well-being of the entire covenant community at risk. Why are we being faithless to one another, Malachi asks. The smart Alex in the community would have said, I'm not being faithless to anybody. And Malachi looks at him and says, yes, you are. For you've taken a wife from the foreign nations, God forbid. And in that, you're being faithless to your brother and sister in Christ. Malachi gives a a second area where we're faithless, or maybe a second example of of faithlessness as he saw it in his own day. Uh, The area is, is in the home Uh, And the example uh, is that of husbands who were divorcing their wives. We see this in verses 13 through 16. Now, there there are some commentators who suggest that the reason these men were divorcing their wives is so that they could go and marry these foreign women. Perhaps that was the case. I I don't think we know for sure. We can only only speculate. Uh, But this second section begins like this. And the second thing you do, right? So Malachi is clearly here addressing a second area where the people are being faithless to one another. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Malachi answers, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So what's happening? Well, the people of Malachi's day sense that their relationship with God is broken. They are aware that God is not accepting their worship. Perhaps Malachi has informed them of this. Anyway, they're aware of it, and they're upset about it. They're weeping and they're wailing over it. They're crying out to God because of it. And they're saying, God, why won't you accept their worship? We're going through the right motions. We're offering the right sacrifices. Why won't you accept our worship? What is the problem? We're coming to church every Sunday. We're giving our offering. We're singing with the congregation. Why won't you accept our worship? And Malachi tells them exactly why because you're being faithless to your wives. That's why God won't accept your worship. Essentially, Malachi says this, listen, God was there long ago when you stood in the front of that church and you told your wife that you would love her and care for her until death. He was there. He was present. He was a witness. He heard the words come out of your mouth. He was even there before that. He saw the love and companionship you shared when you first started dating, when you got on one knee and proposed to her. He was there. He saw it all. And now he's watched you go back on your word. And now he's watched you deal 
treacherously with the wife of your youth. He's watched you treat her as nothing. He's watched you destroy her self-esteem. He's watched you put her out, and you expect him to accept your worship? Come on, Malachi says, don't fool yourself. Don't think you can love God while you deal so cruelly with your wife. The Lord will have none of that. When I read this, I can't help but be reminded of what Peter writes, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to her as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then he says this, do all of these things so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, people of God, this is not just an Old Testament reality. No, even in the New Testament, we learn, we're told that one way to compromise our worship of God is to deal treacherously with our wives. One way to compromise our worship of God is to go back on our word to love her and to cherish her until death. And honestly, I, I have to wonder. I mean, have you realized three, three texts, three different series in a row, right? They all come across this theme of divorce and remarriage. Ezra takes us through it. Ephesians takes us through it. Malachi takes us through it. I assure you, I don't sit in my office and go, Gal, I wonder where we can find another book of the Bible that talks about marriage. That's not how I'm operating. But in God's providence, they keep taking us through this theme of marriage. And it makes me wonder, it really does, how many husbands are sitting here this morning with compromised worship because you are dealing treacherously with your wife? How many husbands sitting in church this morning, listening online, know little of the Lord's blessing and gracious presence in their lives because they don't live with their wife in an understanding way? To some of us husbands, there's no doubt in my mind at the beginning of this Advent season, God is saying to you, listen, husband, this isn't a joke. I'm coming, and you're not ready. And how are you not ready? Your marriage is a disaster. Your wife feels put out and unloved. And that's not okay. That's not okay. That's something you need to deal with through faith and repentance. Well, let's continue in the text. Verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. In this verse, Malachi drills down deeper into the fundamental purpose for the marriage relationship. And it's to, it's to produce godly offspring. Let me ask, do we, do we think of marriage that way? Do we, do we recognize that the supreme goal of marriage, I, I guess one of the supreme goals of marriage, I think another one is to reflect the gospel, right? But, but one of the, the two supreme goals of marriage is to, is to produce godly offspring. Some years ago, I had, a, I had a young couple sitting in my office for pre-marriage counseling. And uh, they looked at me, and they said, we don't want to have children. Very young. They're like 20, 21 years old. Uh, 
that was new for me. I had never had that before, right? It's one thing for a couple to not be able to have children. It's another thing for a couple to say, we have decided we don't want children. I was young in ministry at the time. I was maybe, maybe a year in. And uh, so my attempts to counsel them were very pathetic, <laughs> I assure you. Uh, I pointed them to Genesis 2, to God's command, you know, be fruitful and multiply. I tried to reason with them a little bit. What I should have done <clears throat> is simply brought them to Malachi 2 <laughs> and said, yeah, but, but look, look at what the Lord desires from the marriage relationship. He desires godly offspring. That, that is one of his primary purposes for bringing you together. That is how you can please him in your marriage relationship, by, by producing godly offspring. To not want to have children is to desire something that is contrary to what the Lord desires. That's what I should have said. I wasn't that smart. But I would say that any of us who are here this morning, who are in, who are in, who are in the childbearing season of life, we would do well to, to think deeply about these words. When we consider whether we want to have kids and, and or how many kids we will have, right? The Lord desires godly offspring. Now that said, this, this truth, this truth is really a double-edged sword. Because on the one hand, this implies that, that godly offspring are produced in the soil of a healthy marriage. And therefore, it, it rebukes, doesn't it? Those who've made a mess of marriage. Essentially, it says to those husbands and wives who've dealt treacherously with one another, right? You failed to provide the environment which is conducive to the raising of godly children. It's a rebuke. On the other hand, this verse teaches us that God desires godly offspring. And that should provide some measure of comfort to those of us who, who have, frankly, made a mess of our marriages. That truth should provide comfort to the single mother going at it alone. That truth should provide comfort to the husband who's realized in his older age that he's fallen far short of the standard set before him in God's word, right? Yes, yes, we fail, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He desires godly offspring, and we can trust that he will do it. Right, there's a double-edged sword here. There's on the one hand a rebuke for the sinner, but there's comfort for the repentant to leave our children and their salvation to the Lord, knowing what the Lord desires for them. Well, Malachi brings this dispute to a close in verse 16. The Hebrew in verse 16 is difficult. The ESV translates it this way. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. That's the ESV translation. This is the NIV translation. You're probably more familiar with it. It's a little more blunt. The NIV translation is, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. Now, the people who translate these Bibles are way smarter than me, okay? Um, and I think if we had ESV translators and NIV translators standing here, they would both make fantastic arguments that would convince you they were right, their translation. I know just enough Hebrew to be incredibly dangerous. 
Um, but I think the NIV captures the Hebrew better, all right? That's, that's my take. I hate divorce. That's the sense of what God is saying here. I hate divorce. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I hate divorce. And I think we have to, to recognize that, that even in situations where divorce is permitted, situations of adultery, situations of abandonment, even in situations where it's permitted, divorce is still only the lesser of two evils. And therefore, it's still something, even there, hated by God. God hates divorce. God tells us why he hates divorce. It's because divorce does violence to all involved, to the husband, to the wife, to the children. It does violence to all involved. We've seen it, haven't we? The pain, the suffering, the violence. We've seen it. Malachi then concludes this section with these words. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. That's the sum of this matter. That is the point Malachi is making here. Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. No, be, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful in the church with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be faithful in the home with your wife or your husband. Be faithful. Faithfulness in our relationships is the life that God has called us to. The one who is exercising faithfulness in his relationships is the one who is looking intently for the Lord's coming. Be faithful. Now, when I look back on my life, I don't even have to look that far back. I'll confess before you, and I confess it before you because I don't think I'm that different. When I look back on my life, I see, I see unfaithfulness. I see, I see treachery. I see how I've dealt treacherously with brothers and sisters in Christ as I've, as I've gossiped about them, as I've been dishonest with them, as I've withheld forgiveness from them, as I've used them in some instances for my own personal gain and benefit. I see it, it's there in my life, treachery. I see it in my marriage, right? Believe me, Aaron and I are not getting divorced. We're, we're good. But there's been times, probably like many of you men, where I look back and I've been harsh with my wife, been impatient with my wife, I've been unloving towards my wife, right? Times when I think I've dealt treacherously with her. I see it in my life. I look back. And it's there. This text, after I work my way through it, this text does not allow me to boast in my righteousness this morning. Instead, this text forces me to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I trust it does the same to most of you, to all of you, I hope. And yet even as it puts us in this place of being broken and contrite before God, even as it puts us in this place of recognizing our sin and our failures to live the life that God has called us to live, this text also proclaims to us the hope of the gospel. Look what Malachi says in verse 12. May the Lord cut off 
from the tents of Jacob, any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. What Malachi does there is proclaim the covenant curse on the one who is faithless. Throughout scripture, we see that the one who is faithless to the terms of the covenant is to be cut off from the people of God. So Leviticus 18, 29, for instance, says, for everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among the people of God. Numbers 15, 31, for everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who does them shall be cut off from the people of God. Isaiah 48, 9, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Okay, being cut off is the ultimate curse of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is clear, it's what comes to those who are unfaithful to the terms of the covenant. That said, listen to what we read in Daniel 9, 26. After 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. That, as you probably know, is a prophecy about Jesus. The word anointed one means Christ or Messiah. And what do we read there about Jesus? We read that he would be cut off. He would experience the covenant curse. Now, why? Why would he experience the covenant curse? Why would he be cut off? Is it because he was faithless? Is it because he dealt treacherously with others? Absolutely not. Just just consider what Scripture says about Jesus. It says, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Revelation 1.5, grace to you and peace from him who was and is and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. And my favorite of all, Revelation 19.11, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, named Faithful and True. That's the Lord Jesus. He was faithful. He is faithful. Faithful is his name. So why would he be cut off? Why would he experience the curse reserved for those who are unfaithful? Isaiah tells us he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Do you get it, people of God? Jesus suffered the curse which faithless covenant breakers like you and me deserve. And this is our hope as we come to the table this morning. Not that we have measured up to this high and holy standard which God sets before us in his word, but that we are faithless sinners who deserve to be cut off from the people of God forever because of our sins, but who are welcomed to the table, who are welcomed into God's kingdom precisely because Jesus 
was cut off for us on the cross. And just, just think in closing about this hope in light of some of the treacherous people whom Jesus encounters in the New Testament. Two people come to mind. The first is the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees are ready to stone her for her sin, aren't they? You remember what Jesus said to her? Neither do I condemn you. Therefore, go and sin no more. The other one was Zacchaeus. Boy, if there was ever a treacherous one that we would have liked to have strangled, it was Zacchaeus, right? Defrauding people of their hard-earned money. Do you remember what Jesus said to Zacchaeus? Salvation has come to this house today. This is our Savior. He is the one who rescues treacherous sinners from the penalty their sins deserve and who calls them and who empowers them to live a life of faithfulness to others in service to him. Proverbs 3.3 says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will have a good name in the sight of God and man. Indeed, may God make it so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word, for your word. We thank you for the way that it corrects us and rebukes us and trains us for all righteousness. Father, we confess that our lives are littered with scenes of faithlessness, both in our churches and in our homes. Forgive us, Father, for our sins. And thank you for Jesus, who bore the curse for us. Help us to be like him, to be called faithful and true. It's in his name we pray, amen.